Welcome to Hear Women Tell. My name is Chris Hillenberg, and this is where we interview professional storytellers to get the story behind the story. And today we have Lynn Ruhlman with us. Hi, Lynn. How are you? Hi. Fine, thanks. You know, uh, I I went to your website and I was poking around. I it is a it's a fun website. I really thank you. I really enjoy it. You have a lot of information on there. Uh, I particularly like the King's Advisors. That was fun, and it Good. really gave me an idea about who you are as far as how you tell stories. Um, I would think it'd be kind of hard to tell a story and explain sign language at the same time, but you just did it perfectly. Well, thank you. I do enjoy doing that. I, I, I usually I don't do that all the time, but it's it's something I like to do when I'm doing um, programs, especially for well, especially for students. So it's it's just fun to throw those in. Oh yeah. Now um, I guess you've got a pretty interesting background. Really, uh, you were telling me that you you did singing telegrams and <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I did. That was back in the, a long time ago when I was trying to figure out how could I avoid having a nine-to-five job. And so that was one of those things that I, I, I tried for a while, and it was, it was, it was a fairly hideous experience. <laughs> but it, it was, it was, I, it was in the performing field. And what I realized when I thought about it just recently, when you were asking me about what else I had done. I was thinking, you know, that really was a piece of training for for doing storytelling because I'd done a lot of theater, and in theater, as you know, there's a fourth wall. So you, as an actor, are dedicated to pretending that you don't know the audience is out there, and so you're you're, you're never looking directly at them unless it's a monologue where you're supposed to be, but generally you never look at them because there's a fourth wall. So doing the singing telegrams was, was... baptism by fire of having to look at an audience and it was absolutely terrifying to go into somebody's house and and sing or say this you know thing in person when i was just a you know young thing used to not looking at the audience oh gosh (laughs) now did you do this when you were in, in school no, it was it was after when i when i was yeah seeking around for things that i i could do that would have something theater related and that was just one one little thing i tried for a while so was was theater your major actually it was uh, no my major in college was english and then you know what do you do with english so um i i had a string of of uh, of jobs and but then i was Really, I knew I wanted to do some kind of performance, but I also knew I wasn't prepared. So uh, then I went back to school and took and and I did a lot of workshops. When we lived in Boston, I did mime workshops and and um, all all kinds of different things that all ended up being a piece of the storytelling. But of course, I didn't know that at the time. I just thought I was preparing myself to do something on stage. Right. So so yeah, and I went to University of Cincinnati. I was at that because we were living in Cincinnati. So I was I was taking classes while I was you know between work between jobs. So. Right, right. So I'm curious. So how did you finally get into storytelling? Well, when we moved to Norfolk, Virginia, um, I discovered that there was a children's theater company, and I uh, auditioned for them and. And 
so I worked with them. And then at the same time, the, the man that lived next door to us, um, we met him, and he turned out to be a wonderful radio announcer with a deep, gorgeous voice. But he was in a show at a dinner theater. He was in Funny Thing Happened to the way, on the Way to the Forum. Mm-hmm. And when he found out that I was an actor, I, he said, well, do you, you know, there's Dreema Perry, who married John Denver. Mm-hmm. Remember him? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, she was in this theater, and, and she, um, she was going to marry John Denver, and so she was quitting, and the run wasn't done yet. And so, <laughs> so our next-door neighbor got me an audition, and I went and did this dinner theater. So, so when we moved to Norfolk, that, allowed, that kind of freed me up from having the 9-to-5 job thing. Mm-hmm. But while in between these odd jobs, then I, I was thinking, well, I, I need to be prepared when I can't find a job in the theater. I need to do something that I can do without having a play where a director wants me for a specific role. So I was, because I was in the the the, the um, theater and education thing, I under, got to understand what it means to go into a school and do a program. But at that point, I still didn't even know what storytelling was. I was doing songs and trying to stick in monologues and poems. And, and one day... Because I wanted something that had a beginning and a middle and an end, you mm-hmm. know, as an yep. English major, I was looking for that in a monologue, and they never, they, <laughs> monologues don't have endings, and they were so frustrating. Right. <laughs> so, um, by accident, I, I memorized a story, and when I did it for the kids, I could see that there was something different in mm. their reaction to it. And so then I went out in search of what? What was that? What just happened? And, and, and then I discovered storytelling and not memorizing stories, and, and it went from there. Right. So it was very accidental, but, but a really interesting, slow journey. <laughs> well, and I know you come from a, a, your Now, your father was a professor? Yes, he was. He was a, a music professor. Okay. And, what, and did your mother work? Yes, she, um, she, they, they were both the, the ministers of music at a church, and so she ran the children's choir. Oh, okay. Because I saw this thing in there that, that says uh, something about a quirky kid. Were you a quirky kid? <laughs> I, I, I was, yeah. My, one of my friends said, well, of course you were quirky, Lynn. You didn't have a television. <laughs> <laughs> My father said, "Why would we need a television? He 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 had a fish tank we could watch. It was a six foot long fish tank, so he'd sit and just watch the fish go back and forth. So, mm-hmm. never had a TV. So, so, so I, I did a lot of you know the the the, the inward child thing about making up stories to entertain myself. So, right, that, right, yeah. I know that uh, I also uh, read on your website that you you were like." a big reader or, or you wanted to be a big reader like when you went to school you were you were just ready to read that is true and it was so frustrating because it was so much harder than I thought it would be <laughs> to read <laughs> yeah yeah I'm surprised you even remember that I can barely remember that myself but you know uh, I I was like you as a child I uh, I had a twin sister but we, our interests were very different and there was uh, my twin sister, myself, another girl who was much younger than us, and then all boys in the neighborhood. Oh, wow. So I either played sports or I created 
my own little stories and I used a, a pencil and a piece of paper and I would create characters and I would create you know what was going on between them and you know whether it was cowboys or Indians or something like that and uh, you know I can I you know I think it's kind of interesting how children's imaginations are so fertile mm-hmm you know? yeah yeah um, I, the the um, yeah, and I know that you're very interested, or you're very involved in children uh, curriculum and educational uses of storytelling. Yeah, because a lot of my work is going into schools, and and since standards of lear- learning kicked in, then you know I used to, when I first started storytelling, it was I I did a lot of folklore because multicultural was the buzzword, and that's what they wanted, and then that kind of uh, faded away, and, and and then schools wanted more in the way of, of history, things that were obvious connections to, to their curriculum. So mm-hmm. I, it, so I, I learned to do that because I actually was really interested in making history personal. Um, but now, I, now that I'm, I'm a mature teller, now I'm, you know, really lusting to go back to just stories and, and, and really thrilled when schools... Will will hire me just to, to to do personal stories or to do to do um, folklore and myths again. Mm. So it's now now it's a real mix. So I so I do yes I do do some intentionally connected to to curriculum, but I also love to do adults. Mm. Now um, do you? Um, I know that you also uh, get children actively involved in storytelling. Uh-huh. Can you tell us yes. a little bit about how you do that? Um. Well, one of the one of the programs that's the most involved um, is the way I've, I've ended up doing the story of Perseus. Mm. You know, he's the, one of the the Greek. Um, he's, he's he's not actually God, but he's one of the Greek heroes invo- involved with a lot of the gods in his story. And so, one year I thought I I just want to tell the story, just want to tell the story. But as I was learning it, I thought, well, at the time I'd just gotten really interested in masks. So I thought, wouldn't it be, it'd be kind of fun to stick some masks in this? And so one February, I spent the entire month building um, whimsical, bizarre little props to go with the story. So, so it's turned into this um, really, in, it's the most interactive program I have, but where, the, where kids actually come on stage and they put on these masks and they, they um, act out the, the three... Uh, the gorgons that have the the one eye between them. Oh yeah, yeah. And and they and they have uh, they do the the, the three. Uh, there was the three gray women, and and then the three the three gorgons, the ones that have the the snaky hair. And it was it was just I had a blast figuring out these ways to easily make these props, but just suggestive props, and and. So it's a lot of fun to do, and that, that so so the kids on stage are are acting out specific characters, but the kids that are in the audience do are, are the Greek chorus. So I'll tell them their lines, and you know how Greek choruses are always commenting on the action in the story. Right, right. They'll, they'll comment back, and and, um, and it, it, so so it keeps everybody a piece of the the show. So it's that's kind of to me. That kind of is the borderline. It's not so much storytelling as it's going into the theater side. Right. 
Right. Because I do, I do love to be able to do straight storytelling where, where you know, they really get to, to do the trance. Right. Oh, that's, that's great. great. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a little break right now, and then we'll come okay. back with more of Hear Women Tell, uh, where we interview professional storytellers. Today we're talking to Lynn Ruhlman, and we'll be right back. This is Paul Trulove on Zeus Radio Network for HearWomenTalk.com. Hi, this is Gina Tremarco with the Martini Meeting. Listen to the Martini Meeting with Eileen Soizan and myself every Thursday at 2.30 p.m. on Zeus Radio for HearWomenTalk.com. Hi, this is Deb Coletti, and I am your host of Life on Purpose, a radio show where I'll be having conversations with a wide range of fascinating women who are, in my opinion, leading a truly rich life. We will laugh, we will cry, we will sometimes get very serious. It will get edgy. It will definitely be irreverent and uh, no, no subject off limits. Tune in to hear where we go and even join in the conversation. Life on Purpose with your host, Deb Coletti, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. on the Hear Women Talk Network. Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Welcome back to Hear Women Tell. Uh, This is Chris Hillenberg, your host, where we find out the story behind the story. Today we're talking to Lynn Ruhlman. Uh, Lynn, what's your your favorite type of story to tell? Gosh, it is really hard to pin me down because I, I, to me, the whole genre of storytelling is already such a tiny niche in the, in the, in, in terms of the world's career. But, but I, so, one of the things that I've really enjoyed the last couple of years is that I've been able to go back to writing original stories and personal stories, and and because those those are what I had to put aside when I was having to concentrate on curriculum, being connected to curriculum in schools. So it's really wonderful to be able to to think in terms of the stories of the things that have happened in my life, which. I, I have to really think about and work hard on in a in a in an artistic way to think about how to craft them into stories with arcs and and all those things that you learn as an English major. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but to to build stories that will connect to people because we all when people really resonate with with something that happens in a personal story, there's nothing any better and you're much more fun than that. Oh, I know it. I know it. It's like magic. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So one of the stories that, that I, I worked up last year, was it was a personal challenge. I decided I wanted to see if I could connect three things that were already connected but didn't seem to be a story. I wanted to do something that had to do with aprons because I love vintage aprons, hmm. and I have a friend that fed that love by 
keeping, she kept giving me aprons, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I can never wear so many aprons. I, there has to be a story around this. So that was one. And then I wanted to, I, 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 love, I love history about unusual people, people that you don't read about too much. Mm. And one of those people was Fanny Farmer. Because she, the, her her cookbook was the one that I kind of learned on when I was a young married. Yeah. And so that was two things. And then I wanted to connect it to my personal story. And so when the first time, I have a storytelling group where we work on whatever we're working on. And the first time I took it to them, I saw their eyes glaze. Oh, <laughs> and no. They, and they were like, this is three different stories, Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going with that. I am going to keep going with this until it's one story. And when I, when I finally achieved that, I tell you, that, that was such a sense of accomplishment. And it's so much fun to perform because mm-hmm. I actually I do bring some aprons with me, and 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 when the people finally get get the connections about the the things that take us home, and and that aprons are one of those things that remind us of our childhoods or our mothers or our grandmothers, and and then they see that connection with this kind of um a. a this woman, Fanny Farmer, in her her life and how she had to overcome polio, and and made an an immense career out of it, and then and then to weave that in with my mother, it's it's so it's just really fun. Wow. So that that was a challenge for me to create, oh, but it was fun. <laughs> I bet. Now, now, what's the title of that story? Um, uh, I, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, and now I'm blanking because I've fought with this title so long. And, and wait a minute, I want to get you the right title. I have my computer here, and I'm actually okay. going to look it up because I want to tell you the right title because it took me forever. Hanging on to Sandy Farmer's apron strings. Oh, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> it's uh, too long a title, but, you know, I want it. I, but, yeah, and that's why I had to look it up because. <laughs> and, you know, it was one of those things that came a long time after I finished the actual story. <laughs> yeah. I've had an experience where I've I've gotten a germ for a story, and I've worked it, and I've got it to a certain place, and I just can't get the ending right. I just, uh-huh. you know, and that's so frustrating. But you're right. Once you do pull all that together, it's a it's a huge accomplishment, especially if it's something you have to wrestle with. Yes. Um, yeah. You hated the wrestling at the time, but afterwards it, it's all oh, right. <laughs> it's like finishing the Sudoku puzzle, you know. Right, 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 right. Well, if what type of uh, stories do you like to hear? Like, um, you know, when you go to conferences or, or or storytelling festivals, what sort of stories do you like to hear? You know, I just love the variety of it. I think my favorite, if I were going to have to choose, I probably would go with the personal stories, and yet. Every time I think that, and then you go and you hear, say, Ben Haggerty from England, and, and you hear him do one of those really deep, old English um, fairy tales, uh, Jack tales, it's like, oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is really, adu- it's adult material, and it's just engrossing, and mm-hmm. so, I, it's, yeah, I don't think you can have one without the other. Oh, I don't either, yeah. Yeah. Um, so now, so you do stories from history, and you do uh-huh. folklore. You do personal personal stories and mythology, and you also do uh, literature stories of, about literature. 
I do, but not so much. I I don't anymore try to memorize stories, and mm. because of that, I don't do except the odd maybe poem, where a short poem that I might memorize. But mm-hmm. um, it, when I do literary stories, I usually do uh, my own, you know, an adaptation of the of the plot as a as opposed to memorizing the right. words. So you Unless it's it. Kipling, you're not allowed to do, you, you know, you really shouldn't do Kipling without the real words. So if I do him, I do the real words. Right. Now you do, you do um, workshops? Yes. What, what type yes. of workshops do you do? Um, one of the ones that I've, I've enjoyed the most is I, I finally worked out a, a way to get people from, uh, to, do, to do a writing workshop. That that leads them um, linearly from from helping them to as a group to come up with topics, and then they web the the ideas, and then I give them time to write, and then time to share, and and in a couple hours time, people actually do come up with a. Um, a, a short story that they've written. It's not going to be a finished work, but then, if, if depending on how long the workshop is, then w- then we can even go on to the a second draft. So to me, that's just really a lot a lot of fun because it doesn't really matter if people are beginners or if they've been at it a while. Is they can all find an anecdote from their life, and that they can find a way to to turn that anecdote into a at least the beginning of a story, a kernel of a story. Right, like all the stories that, that your family tells, you know, at the holidays. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right, right. And then you and have... Also, to, of course, everybody loves it because I'm theater. I really like to do the, the technique workshops where you, you know, you talk about body language and, or, you know, you give them exercises. So it's always, I always do workshops that's hands-on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's the other thing, too. People don't realize how physical storytelling can be. Uh-huh. You know, and how you how your gestures and your hand movements and where you're standing on the stage and props you use or anything like that really can have such a, a tremendous impact on the story. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And now you do this uh, other thing called healing stories. What's that about? Well, that is where you have a small group of people um I especially like to do women's groups, small groups of women, or even teens, um, where they, where you, I tell a story, and then we talk about the story, and in the process of talking about the story, uh, pieces of their, they, they, they begin to connect their lives with that story, only they see their lives in a different way because they connect with that character that we've just been talking about. So it's a really non-invasive way f- to let people look at their own lives in a fresh way and and may- and because the story has a resolution, they can see how to how maybe there's a way to resolve their own their own issues. So I don't ever do it as a counselor. I mean that's uh, that's uh, that's not where I'm where I'm coming right, from. Right, right, right. Um and, and if I'm in a setting, I, do, I have occasionally gone to like, um, uh, you know, shelters. And usually, if I do that kind of a workshop in a shelter, there'd be there'd be a a, a counselor that would be there in case right. anybody really did come up with an issue. Right. So my my function is more more to be to as, as a coping mechanism than or, you know a, a story that you can hold 
for yourself. Right, because I, I, you know, for myself, um, and it's just, and it's just true. I find if I've got something I'm dealing with, I'll talk to a girlfriend or a, a close mm-hmm. friend, and by talking about events that are going on or what I'm feeling, you do work those things out. You know, right. uh, I, I remember Linda Goodman said to me, uh, "Storytelling is therapeutic, but it's not therapy." Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and. Uh, but uh, you know that you can see where you know getting people to to express what they're feeling or thinking is is important, and they can see it in a story. Like if you tell a story of a certain uh, a, a event, a, a, like a, a woman's having uh, you know life events as normal, there are women out in the audience who are going to see that, and they're going to be able to relate to that. And there's mm-hmm. there is some sense of shared, common, you know, this all happens to a sort of a thing that goes on. Right, right. And sometimes you are absolutely convinced you're the only one that's ever experienced something. And when you hear that someone else has or felt a way, felt something about things that happened, then when you hear somebody else express it, it's such a relief. Yeah. Well, we're going to take another break right now. Uh, this is Chris Hillenberg talking today with Lynn Ruhlman on Hear Women Tell. And we'll be right back. Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. All right, you ready? Can we get started? Oh, we're just going to do that one. Yeah. You ready? Okay. Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Donna. Join us Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern right here on hearwomentalk.com. <laughs> Why'd you add that? We added this part. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, start over. Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Donna. Join us Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Hear Women Talk and Laugh. Be engaged. Be entertained. Be there. For the Scott and Donna show. Yeah. I was supposed to say well, that. Well, you didn't underline it. Well, I'm supposed to say it, though. Okay, we'll say it. Just knock it off. Be Just quiet. Say it. The Scott and Donna show. Awesome. You satisfied? Be there. All right. Hi, this is John Banks with the Zeus Radio Network and Hear Women Talk. Come join me on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. with Bringing Man Out of the Cave. We're going to try to take an interesting look at the male-female dynamic as I try to give you answers as to why men do what they do. Come join me. On Mondays. This is Dottie Laster, the host of Trafficked, an hour-long discussion about human trafficking in the United States. Join me as we meet guests from around the world and locally who are combating the fastest-growing crime in the world. Join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Hear Women Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michelle with LaBellamy Vineyard. You're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Welcome back to Hero Mentel. This is Chris Hillenberg. I'm your host today, and we're talking to Lynn Ruhlman. Lynn, you've got a new CD coming out? 
I do. I just sent it off to Mist Makers. So it's, it's called Mischief, and the subtitle is Adventures of a Daydreamy Child. So it's, it's stories um, that uh, are from my life when I was around between four and eight or ten years old. Hmm. Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah. <laughs> and I even found, I found a picture I had never, my sister found a picture of me that I had not known about before, and it's was just perfect for the for the cover, so I was very happy. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, do you have a story you'd like to share with us? I do. I do have a story I'd like to share with you. You ready? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, when I was growing up, I lived in Michigan, and I also went to Michigan State University. So by the time I got to the summer that was between my junior and senior year of college, I was really, really ready to go off somewhere exotic to spend the summer. And so I chose the island of Nantucket off the coast of Massachusetts. The reason was because I couldn't think of anywhere else that had its very own limerick. There once was a man from Nantucket who kept all his cash in a bucket, but his daughter, named Nan, ran away with a man and as for the bucket, man, tuck it. <laughs> See, I figured if an island had a limerick like that, maybe it would bode well for my finding a man that summer, the man I wa- might want to run away with. And it didn't hurt that my parents had long ago known a couple named Bob and Erna who had moved to Nantucket, and they said that they would let me live at their house for the summer. So off I went to Nantucket, and I found myself a job as a waitress at the Skipper restaurant, and I settled in to my exciting adventure on the island for the summer. It took me until the summer was very nearly over to understand that this was not going to be the season when I was going to find Mr. Perfect. I had dates. I went out with the sous chef from the Skipper restaurant where I worked. He was he was cute, and he liked to slip me little strawberry tarts. I tried really hard to ignore the fact that he looked and acted as though he hadn't yet graduated from high school. And when he took me to visit the home, the summer home that his parents owned on Nantucket, and they met me, they actually cooed and clapped their hands. They said, oh, look, oh, he's brought home a polite one, a mature one, oh, good. But I didn't find that either reassuring or encouraging. And in fact... When they finally left us alone, I discovered that the two of us had absolutely nothing in common to talk about. So then I started hanging out on the beach, and I met a surfer. He was definitely mature, both chronologically and physically. We lay on our towels on the beach, and he told me about every single surfboard he had ever owned. And then he told me 
about every single wave that he had caught that entire summer on Nantucket. I asked him if he'd ever surfed anywhere else besides Nantucket. He said, oh, yeah, I've surfed all up and down the East Coast. I said, well, did he aspire to doing anything else? He said, oh, yeah, I want to I wanna go surf all up and down the Pacific Coast. <laughs> I said, do you have anything else you want to do, like hobbies or interests? Like, for instance, what do you do when it's not surfing weather? He said, oh, wow, it's always surfing weather somewhere. <laughs> he finally looked at me. And I guess he saw that my eyes were glazing over. So he said, say, you want to learn how to surf? I said, whoa, now that sounds like a really good idea. So the two of us took his surfboard out into the ocean. And that was when I found out that my particular talent about surfing was falling off his surfboard. <laughs> It didn't matter if he held on to that board to help me or if he let me try to do it all by myself. Every time I tried to go from prone to standing up or even just kneeling, I fell off. After a while, it started to, to make me giggle. And then I realized that it was not making him giggle. <laughs> In fact, I noticed that he was gazing wistfully out toward the horizon. So I decided that the most humane thing was catch and release. <laughs> so I waved him a fond farewell as he paddled that surfboard out into the waves. I decided there surely had to be something better to do on that island than date boys. And so I started taking long walks. And on the other side of the island from where I was staying, I discovered that there was this little house, and one room of it had been turned into a fabric store. So I went inside, and I bought a pattern. I bought fabric and thread, took them all back to Bob and Ernest's house. And Ernest said, sure, I could use her dining room table for sewing. And so on nights when I wasn't working, Bob would sit in the dining room and watch while I spread out the fabric and cut out the pieces and pin them. And the two of us would discuss the relative merits and demerits of sous chefs and surfers. <laughs> One Sunday afternoon, the three of us, Bob and Erna and myself, were sitting in the living room and each reading our own books when the doorbell rang. So Bob got up to answer it, and he came back with two guys. He said, this is Howard, Faith's brother, and this is... I did not hear one more thing. <laughs> All I heard was, this is Howard, Faith's brother. Faith didn't live with Bob and Erna, but they let her use their kitchen because she baked the most divine desserts that I had ever seen in my entire life. I never got to taste a single one of them because she sold them all to the restaurants on Nantucket. That was her summer job. Faith was tall 
and willowy, and she had curly blonde hair. She was perfect. And here was her brother, Howard, and he was a fitting brother for Faith. He, too, was tall and gorgeous. He had that blonde, curly hair, but he wasn't willowy. He was buff. Mm. So when the two guys came into the living room and sat down on the floor, I slid off my chair onto the floor, and I sidled over as close as I could to Howard just to keep an eye on him. And Bob and Erna and the two guys started to discuss the summer before because they had all worked on a theater there, and so they had lots to reminisce about. I, I listened along. I laughed. It was, it was entertaining to hear the stories. But I noticed that Howard wasn't quite as invested in all these fond memories. He seemed to be more focused on how long was it going to take Faith to finish baking in the kitchen. The other guy I'd noticed was very tall, and he was kind of cute, but I didn't pay too much attention to him because I knew that he was there to take Faith out on a date. And sure enough, when she was done baking in the kitchen, she came out in the living room, and the three of them, the two guys and Faith, left without inviting me along. They left me there in the living room to read my book by myself, nobody to talk to but Bob and Erna. The next morning... I was still in the shower getting ready for work when the doorbell rang and rang again and again. Obviously, Bob and Erna either were out or they weren't where they could hear it. I was going to have to answer the door. So I turned the shower off and I pulled my clothes over my wet, dripping body, ran downstairs, opened up the door, and there was one of the guys from the day before, only not Howard. I said, Faith doesn't work on Mondays. She's not here. And I started to close the door. He said, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. I didn't come for Faith. I came for you. I said, oh, good save. But if you'll excuse me, I have to go get ready for work. And I started to close the door again. No, no, really. I came to find out if I could pick you up after you finish work at the Skipper tonight. He'd been paying enough attention the day before to remember that I worked at the Skipper restaurant. That was in his favor. I suddenly noticed that my long, wet hair was dripping big circles on the front of my T-shirt. <laughs> but I said, um, I don't get off work until 11. That's okay, he said. I'll meet you at 11. And he left. And I closed the door for real, and I went in search of Bob. I found him out in the garden. I said, Bob, Bob, you know that guy that was here yesterday, the one that's not Howard? What is his name? Bob said, oh, that's Bill. He spent a lot of time here last summer, but he's just passing through this year. At 11 o'clock that night, I met not Howard outside the restaurant. <laughs> and we walked up and down and up and down and up and down the one main street of Nantucket. 
talking and talking about all sorts of things. At one point, he gave me a long lecture about Ernest Hemingway. And then he apologized for having lectured. I decided I would accept the apology because I was well aware that no one that entire summer had talked to me about anything about literature. The next day, as I was going to work, I saw Bob again. I said, Bob, you know, you know that not Howard? He, he doesn't cook, and he doesn't serve, and he's not particularly buff, but he sure is smarter than the average bear. <laughs> and he has the bluest blue eyes. I think I'll go out with him again. And I did. We, we went out for the entire rest of the summer. Anytime I wasn't working, we were together all two weeks that were left of that summer. And when my parents finally came to Nantucket to pick me up and take me home, they invited Not Howard along to have dinner one night. He fizzed about how he and I had made plans to meet in the coming year to go back and forth on visits. My mother actually patted his arm and said, Well, dear, you know these summer things never last. He and I were speechless. And I wondered if it was possible that she was right. But in the coming year, he did come to visit me in Michigan. And I did go to visit him in Washington, D.C. And we wrote dozens and dozens and dozens of letters back and forth and back and forth. And then I married him. <laughs> and when I did, I called him Bill, not Howard. <laughs> Uh, th that's a great story. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, uh, that's of course, great. you understand that my husband's memory of that event was far different. Oh, well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, well, Lynn, uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Can you um, let people know how to get in touch with you? Absolutely. My website is www.cascadingstories, C-A-S, C-A-D-I-N-G stories.com and um, my email is lynn at cascading stories and my, my phone is 757-642-6813 and I'd love to hear from you. Well, lynn, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this interview today and it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you. I've enjoyed it, too. Great. Well, stay tuned. Uh, we're going to be right back with Hear Women Tell with Linda Goodman with news and reviews. We'll be right back. Hi, 
this is Michelle with LaBellamy Vineyard. You're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio and the Zeus Radio Network. If your spirit's weary and you need a word of encouragement, join me, Donna Tyson, for Rivers of Faith, Tuesday mornings from 10 to 11 Eastern Standard Time on Zeus Radio Network at hearwomentalk.com. Tonight, take an adventure on the Myrtle Beach Ghost Walk. Explore the haunted swamps where alligators and the ghosts from long ago still reside. Stroll across floating walkways beneath the Spanish moss as your pirate guide leads you by lantern and shares 13 spooky tales along the way. The Ghost Walk departs nightly at dusk, only at Barefoot Landing in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Call 843-361-2700 or visit MyrtleBeachGhostWalk.com for advanced tickets. The Myrtle Beach Ghost Walk. Join the party and live it up in Shag City, live Fridays, 1130 a.m. to 1230 p.m. Eastern. A call-in talk and music radio show dedicated to the Shaggin' lifestyle, hosted by me, Paul Love, Broadcasting live from the heart of the Shag capital of the world, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Shag City is a one-of-a-kind radio show featuring the best in the grand strength Shag dance and music scene. Here you'll find the latest cool Shag news, tunes, and announcements, along with guest appearances from the greatest Shaggers of our time. You can listen to Shag City live Fridays at 11.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Eastern here on the Zeus Radio Network for hearwomentalk.com. Shag City, it's crazy, baby. This is Paul Trulove on Zeus Radio Network for HearWomenTalk.com. Welcome back to Hero Mentel. My name is Chris Hillenberg, and I'm your host. And now it's time for reviews with Linda Goodman. How are you, Linda? I'm good, Chris. How are you doing? Good. I understand you're going to be doing a review of Tim Tingle today. Yeah. Uh, this is an oldie but goodie. Uh, this is an audio cassette that I bought back in, in the 90s. And, of course, I'm sure it's a CD now. But, you know, I own hundreds and hundreds of CDs and storytelling uh, videos and audios, and this is one of my favorites. I go back to it all the time. Now, uh, Tim Tingle, I think I, I think I saw him at Three Apples. Can you, can you tell our audience a little bit about him? Yeah, uh, Tim is um, Choctaw. He is a very wonderful writer and a wonderful teller. He tells stories about the Choctaw people. He also tells stories from everyday life. He also tells some folk tales every once in a while. He's been at the National Storytelling Festival. Oh, gosh, at this point it would be hard to name a festival he hasn't been included in. Hmm. Uh, he's just a fabulous teller and a very nice person besides. Oh, great. Well, yep, yeah, let's hear the review. The Choctaw Way by Choctaw storyteller Tim Tingle is a going way back family history that will enrich the mind and soul of anyone who listens to it. It's an irresistible blend of music, chant, and story, and it cuts to the heart of life by honoring those things the Choctaw hold most dear, honor, self-respect, and family. The first story on the cassette is Trail of Tears, and it's told in the Choctaw way of not naming those who have gone before, but seeing the journey through the eyes of a small boy, a five-year-old, whose young innocence makes the truth of his story all the more magic. His family's journey begins with fire. It continues with freezing cold and smallpox. 
and it ends with death. Listeners will feel that they too have made the journey as they add their own tears to the trail that was so aptly named. Meeting with Reptiles, another story on the cassette, is about a chilling encounter in the deserted home of Eli Baldwin, the reckless Choctaw fighter whose enemies killed him by surprise and superior odds as he sat on his front porch, and it's a riveting tale. New Puppy is the story of a little girl who kept on giving and giving and giving until the gift rolled right back to her in the form of a puppy. Hmm. Though the tape is recommended for all ages, for, for ages 12 and up, this particular story is one that should be heard by even young children who would benefit so much from the value lesson that it illustrates. Salty Pie is the gripping story of Tingle's Momo, who was blind. In explaining the meaning of the term salty pie, Tingle's Uncle Kenneth explains, you don't know where the herd comes from. You just know it don't belong. You shrug it off and say salty pie. It helps you carry on, boy. My favorite story on this uh, recording is the Choctaw Way, the story of Willie Morris, a man executed in the Choctaw Way, a way not of jails and prisons, but of honor drummed in stone in the heartbeat of the people. A key character in this story is a little boy whom Willie has been raising and teaching the ways of his people. The image of this boy standing on his toes, pressing his hands against either side of the door as he waits breathlessly to hear the gunshot that will take his pawpaw away from him is a haunting one. Mm. Even so, the listener may rest assured that just as the sun rises after cold and after a dark night, this young boy will thrive as he casts his amen vote for the code of honor in the Choctaw way. At the beginning of this tape, Tingle mentions a sacred mound in central Mississippi that is marked by a wooden sign proclaiming it as the origin of the Choctaw people. Tradition has it that as long as the people return to this site, the tribe will grow and prosper. Tingle once planted, once planted a blackberry vine at that site, and the vines don't need to be watered because their roots grow very deep. Tingle's roots also grow very deep, and the history of his people lives in him, and this recording honors them in a way that no factual history could. This recording is a classic, and I recommend it be in every storyteller's library. Hmm. It sounds wonderful. It is a wonderful tape. I hope you get a chance to listen to it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Linda. And uh, we really, I, you know, I really enjoy the reviews from you because there's uh, so many people that I haven't heard, and it just broadens my uh, list of people that I want to go see. So I really appreciate it. Well, I hope you get to see them all. There's some wonderful storytellers out there. All right. Well, thanks so much, and we'll be right back with the news. This is Chris Hillenberg with Hear Women Tell, and this is where we find the story behind the story. We'll be right back.
Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Hi, this is Deb Coletti, and I am your host of Life on Purpose, a radio show where I'll be having conversations with a wide range of fascinating women who are, in my opinion, leading a truly rich life. We will laugh, we will cry, we will sometimes get very serious. It will get edgy. It will definitely be irreverent and uh, no, no subject off limits. Tune in to hear where we go and even join in the conversation. Life on Purpose with your host, Deb Coletti, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. on the Hear Women Talk Network. Hi, this is John Banks with the Zeus Radio Network and Hear Women Talk. Come join me on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. with Bringing Man Out of the Cave. We're going to try to take an interesting look at the male-female dynamic as I try to give you answers as to why men do what they do. Come join me on Mondays. Hi, this is Michelle with LaBellamy Vineyard. You're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio and the Zeus Radio Network. Welcome back to Hear Women Tell. I'm your host, Chris Hillenberg, where we interview professional storytellers to get the story behind the story. And now, we've got the news of the story. Right, Linda? Right. What do you have for us today for news? First of all, I want to uh, let everybody know that uh, the League for the Advancement of New England Storytelling is calling for submissions for their oleo performance at Sharing the Fire which is uh, the largest regional storytelling conference in the country. Uh, and one of the most popular events is their Saturday Night Oleo. They're accepting auditions and submissions for the 30th annual Sharing the Fire Northeast Storytelling Conference. That's going to be held in March of 2011 at the Crown Plaza in Warwick, Rhode Island. Uh, live auditions will take place in half-hour intervals, Saturday, September the 11th, 2010, from 10 to 12, and from 1 to 5 at the Village Congregational Church, 5 Church Street in Whittonsville, Massachusetts. Or you can mail your CD, a clear CD uh, or video performance, to Lorraine Harton Gillardi. Uh, and her address is 108 Hibernia Heights Drive, Salt Point, New York, 12578. Postmark deadline is September the 3rd. Mm. And that address again, Lorraine, L-O-R-R-A-I-N-E, Harton, H-A-R-T-I-N, dash, Gillardi, 108 Hibernia Heights Drive, Salt Point, New York, 12578. I have to say, you know, I uh, sharing the fire was the first conference that I went to, and uh, what a great conference! I, I you know, it, it was one of those things where I went and did not want to go home. Did not want to go home. It, I just had so much fun, and the storytellers there were so nice, and everybody was so upbeat and positive. Oh yeah! It was just a, a tremendous experience for somebody who was brand new coming into storytelling. Oh yeah, they they do a great job of making newcomers feel welcome there. And the workshops were awesome. Oh yeah, and they have a, a one of the best 
choices. And one of the you know the, one of the best array of workshops that I've seen. Mm. Uh, you know, all, many many workshops to choose from. It would be just about impossible to walk in there and not find something that um, would interest you. Right, and I remember uh, I remember an, an, uh, the next year I went, and I remember hearing uh, Bill Harley tell the story of the Happy Man shirt. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I just loved that. It was wonderful. Um, yeah, you know, uh, he just, uh, of course, he's on NPR and and uh, does a bunch of, uh, does a lot of storytelling. He's a very, very talented uh, storyteller. Um, yeah, I think that's the same year that uh, Lee was there. Lee, Lee um, Pennington, right? Oh yeah, Play, fabulous playwright, fabulous storyteller. Retired from the storytelling world now, but still active, I hear. Oh, yeah. I would love to get him on an interview. Oh, he would be. I don't even know how to get in touch with him anymore. Lee, if you're out there, give Chris a call. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Well, Linda, thank you for the news. And uh, I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on Hear Women Tell, where we interview professional storytellers to get the story behind the story. Join us next week. Thanks. Thanks.